Hi, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of stroke-focused podcasts. This is Cam, your host. Today, our guest is Dan Ridge, and Dan is a retired entrepreneur and stroke survivor. In 2008, he founded Cato, and that's C-A-T-O Services, a business to handle recruiting. And since 2007, he has been the consultant and chief stargazer, basically visionary, for a talent acquisition and retention consulting firm that helps clients identify the state of their hiring and retention process and helps them move from where they are now to where they want to be and helps them achieve some level of improvement in their process. Dan himself has suffered a stroke, and that was three years ago. His speech and mobility has been left intact. It did damage his vision. Hello, Dan. Hi, Cam. How are you doing? I'm good. Tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe a little bit about the pre-stroke self and the after-stroke self. Pre-stroke, I was a recruiter, starting in recruiting back in the mid-70s in Houston, Texas. I did some work in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, Cambridge, and it was really agency recruiting, mostly IT-related. And then I got into corporate recruiting and did some other things. Then the last maybe pre-stroke 10 years, I was working out of my house. A lot of the things you just mentioned about Cato and uh, Five Star Consulting Group, I invented I just decided I needed to do something. And every three or four months, I would reinvent myself. So I did recruiting. I wrote blogs. I did a lot of other things, all in the recruiting space, and loved it. And then when I had my stroke, I didn't think about doing anything at all other than getting back to some sense of normalcy, which may not be even possible. There was a moment after my stroke that I really felt like things were changing. And maybe every stroke survivor goes through this. I haven't talked to everybody about this. There was a moment in time where I really felt like I was getting back to who I used to be. I told my wife, I said, you know, if you put my life on a graph, then where I was pre-stroke was way up here. And where my stroke hit me, I was way down here. I'm now kind of midway between. I may never get up to that other point. I may never get there. And I'm okay with that. I knew that I was coming back. And I knew that I still had things I wanted to do and could offer. We moved to Laredo, Texas, where we live now, from Houston. Uh, my wife's family is here. Her mother is a wonderful woman. She'll be 95 in about 14 days, 15 days still in great health, and we're here because her family's here. Anyway, we moved here, and after we moved in, there was a little flyer that went around the neighborhood. They had some information about a group called the Laredo Stroke Support Group. Bill and Dee Dee Hernser formed this great people, and uh, I went to their first meeting and thought, God, you know, I, I should even be here. I should not be here. Everybody else there had strokes. So did I. But theirs were debilitating. Theirs were paralysis. Theirs were aphasia. Theirs were things that you look at, you talk about stroke. Go, oh, I've had, I know people who've had a stroke. Well, yeah. I couldn't say that. I could say hey, my vision's off, and I could make the joke about seeing double of everybody. But beyond that, I told Bill, I said, you know, I think I need a card that says, hey, I've had a stroke. 
and be able to give it to people. My first thought was, I'm there, and I'm meeting all these great people. And I came home thinking, you know, I wonder how many of these people would like to get back to do something. There was a guy there, he's still there, who was a truck driver. He's half his body is paralyzed. He can't even walk well. But he, every day he works on his therapy. He works at, he's got trouble talking. He'll never drive a truck. No one will hire him. But could he do something else? And I thought, you know what? I should get back into recruiting. I should do something that I really feel good about doing and can do it well. And I know the business. I've done it for 20 some odd, 30 or so odd years. And I could teach people some aspect of recruiting, sourcing, screening, internet sourcing on Monster, on LinkedIn, whatever you're using. That was kind of the idea. So I haven't done a lot of that yet. What I want to do before that is to get the business up and running, get some revenue coming in, which I think it could be done. I got a very different idea about the type of recruiting I want to do and how I want to approach the market. But eventually, I want to be able to go back to the group that I'm with and say, how many of you would like to work maybe three hours a day out of your home on the computer? Don't call people if you can't talk. Don't feel like you have to. But if you can do sourcing out the Internet, if you can pull resumes off based on this requirement we're looking to fill, that's great. I'll pay you, and we'll share in the commissions. And then I had a thought about could they work? Could they afford to work? Many people are on some sort of disability. You're not allowed to make a certain amount of money over and above that. They could. But we'll work that out. On an individual basis, I could work that out with them and get a financial planner to come in and talk to them. But the idea is there. I want to do it. That's kind of the idea. So my thought is I want to get this up and running. I'm going to do it under five-star consulting group, which is already a company out there that I invented. But do straight-up recruiting and really do it differently in this way. I want to do it where I go to a company, call the guy, tell him what I do, tell him what the company does, and pitch it as a project. Mm-hmm. So the idea would be to call a company, and if they have to open it, I'll say, listen, here's the deal. It's going to cost you, but we're not going to work on a percentage of annual salary. That's over. We don't do that anymore. I want to give you a flat fee. It's going to cost you $10,000, $15,000 maybe, whatever the number might be. But you'll know going in what it's going to cost you. And I want to approach it as though it were a project, which it is. And we'll work on that until you say, okay, project's over, we already hired someone, or your guy, we want to make an offer to. Project's over. When I was in the business way back in the mid-70s in recruiting for an agency, we would take 30, 40, 50 job orders a month. Job orders. These are all companies that are saying, I need your help, and I agree to your fee. And we'd only fill maybe three of them. Maybe three. And that was great. That was good money. What about the other 27? They're still looking. Now, every now and then we'd get back with them, but we never closed anywhere near the number we should. I want to take a few openings, work on them till they're over, and treat it like a project. If there's somebody we're building in addition to your hospital, they wouldn't start it and then leave. They would finish the job. It's a project. And that's how we should view, I'm going to view recruiting. That's my concept. 
I like that. I also want to say that it is difficult with my long-term disability and working because they're not used to somebody trying to work. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do get partial long-term disability because I'm working, um, but also working. And so I think that anyone who wants to work, number one, can if they get the training. And the other thing, I'm fortunate that in the St. Louis area, we have two really good groups that works with people like me to get you back into a job. They don't really find you the job, but they do the training and they have people come in, job counselors or coaches, I guess they call them. Your idea is great because it, again, there's not many available positions or people who are willing to help you when you have a brain injury, get back into the job. Okay, so it's not a case of saying, oh, I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. They're not going to hire you again. I brought this up to Bill Hernser. Mm-hmm. I said, Bill, if you didn't own four companies, you would not be working now. And he goes, you're right. So, I mean, my thought is to, to offer this to stroke survivors and say, look, whatever you can do, if you can, all you can do is get on the Internet and pull off resumes. That's fine. But every day, every day, we're going to talk about that project. Mm-hmm. And over time, you are going to learn what it takes to make the connection. Because recruiting is really all about connecting the dots. It's all about looking and hearing what somebody's saying, I need this, and go, ah, yeah, I've got the guy. Because I know that the guy that I'm talking about can do that job. Now, is that magic? No. But it, it took time to develop that skill. And it's that kind of skill that I think is important for people to know. And that's what I'll train people to do. All of a sudden, they can begin to see, ah, that's it right there. I see the dot. So that's my plan. That's my vision. And I think it could easily be done, get some revenue coming in. I then want to take it out to the group and say, okay, here's what I'm doing. It's been successful. I want to continue doing it. I'm going to be the guy. I'm the front of it. And over time, get more and more people involved. This thing could go a lot of different places. It could go national. We need it to. We talked about the potential you're seeing for other stroke survivors, for you not only to help them, but them to help you. We've talked about recruiting the survivors to run recruiting. And this is where you see there's an opportunity. And that's why they call you, I'm sure, an entrepreneur. I love the idea of being able to recreate yourself. I love the idea of just creating something from nothing and then putting it into action. Even when I was working for companies, I was always doing interesting things, and it worked. So, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with just your mindset. Can you do that? And don't buy into, oh, you can't do that. I think for a lot of stroke survivors, that's always the caveat. Oh, you can't do that. Well, I'm not sure. I may not be able to do that, but I can do something. I'm so impressed by the stroke survivors that I've met here in Laredo, especially how dedicated they are, how determined they are, how interesting they are in terms of their willingness to just do something. There are guys who for the first eight or nine years could not even speak. And there are people there that are still dealing with 
paralysis, still dealing with the ravages of whatever happened. Bill Hartz was a good example. His story is movie-worthy. His story, when you hear it, you go, oh, my God. His story is that he was running on Town Lake in Austin, Texas, running one morning. Hashtag just fell down. Luckily, there was a policeman in back of him who was also running, off duty, who recognized what Bill was going through, called the ambulance right away. But he was taken to a hospital, I mean, right away. But they said there's no way he's ever going to even be functional. Now, he's speaking, he's talking, he's toastmastering, he's doing other things. And it's very, very impressive. And there are many other ones like him who just come and they're there, they want to participate. Every now and then they have like a karaoke night at our little club. And the people that get up there and can't, maybe before stroke, post stroke, they probably never could sing anyway. doesn't matter. They want to get up and sing. You deal with that. You don't, you're not embarrassed. You understand what they're going through. But there are a lot of stories like that. I, I, every time I go, I'm just so impressed by all of them. And again, I, I feel lucky. I feel lucky that I can do this. I feel lucky that I can talk about doing a company. I feel lucky that I can do a lot of things. What kind of pushed me to the point of saying, I need to do this. What advice? would you like to give to other stroke survivors? A couple of things. One, on my end, I mean, I've noticed this happening a number of times. Bill Hertz is a good example. Bill suffers from aphasia. And the temptation is, and I'm sure you run it, the temptation is to throw words in there when they're struggling. Mm-hmm. I don't. I let them just go. Mm-hmm. And I sit there and go and look at them. And eventually kind of the word comes that they want, and we talk about that for a while, and they'll say something else, and they can't find that word. Mm-hmm. So I think for anybody who is either a caregiver, which is a big deal, or somebody who just knows somebody who's had a stroke, be patient. For stroke survivors, I think it's another ball game. I think you just have to accept where you are, no matter what the reason's for it, and be willing to kind of do something to get back up to some sense of normalcy, whatever that might be. could be just getting up in the morning, putting on your clothes, doing something. I mean, again, I've been lucky. I've been truly lucky and blessed and and everything else that I don't have all those issues. I mean, I love, before stroke, I love to cook. I still do. I love to cook. And my cooking has probably become a lot better since my stroke. Well, I think so. And I can't see. So maybe that's part of it. Now, before stroke, I love to drink great beer, microbrewed beer. And I love wine. And I still do that. We still travel a lot. I think the key for any stroke survivor, and maybe you already have this, is to have somebody that you can count on. I have my wife and the kids. The kids don't live with me here. They all live everywhere. But when I visit them, they're always sure that I'm okay. They're always sure that I can see the ground. I can walk and won't fall. So I think you have to have support that you can count on. It isn't really intrusive, but it's you know it's there. And you have to respect that. Well, I have to say, too, that if you don't have that strong family connection, that these stroke support groups are wonderful because it helps you to realize 
that you're not alone and it does give you some kind of support. So I have to put that plug into because unfortunately many people don't have the support that you and I have. I would agree fully, fully. In fact, I mean, many of the people that go to this, our meetings come with caregivers and it's really their family. It's their wife or it's a father or it's a brother or it's somebody that comes with them. Their support in general is really that support group. You're right. Yeah, it's key. You also need never to give up, which I think also is what you're saying too. Just keep moving, keep going, keep finding things to do. And you are finding a new you after stroke, no matter what your deficit is. And so you have to find that new normal. Yeah, I agree. And I think that either comes early on where you go, okay, I understand what I had, what I went through. And I think for a lot of people, it may not come early on. For me, it came early on. I mean, I recognized where I was and it kind of felt like, you know what, I'm a little different now. I may never get up here on my graph, but I could be here. I mean, right. when I found out, and the, I mean, we, I went through some great medical people in San Antonio because that's where we, I was, but I had it. And yeah. uh, came out of, of the hospitals, two hospitals, and uh, lost track of time. I was in hospitals for maybe almost a month and never even realized that's how much time I had lost. Mm-hmm. And finally, we went to visit one doctor who was going to look at me for some reason, and his PA, he didn't come in. His PA came in. She was very nice. And my wife said, and I always took my, I always still do. I take my wife on all the medical visits just to make sure there's another ear there. And uh, so my wife said, well, what about his sleeping? He sleeps a lot. And I never slept a lot before. I was always up early, making coffee, doing things on the phone. She goes, he had a stroke. Sleeping. Yeah. I mean, I sleep a lot now. I think many of us can identify with that. So, I mean, there are little things that you can kind of latch on to, but in general, I mean, in my case especially, there's a lot I can do, and I still want to. What's heartening in a way is that this before my stroke, I made it one of the oldest people at our group. Every month we have a little meeting, and they have things during the week which I don't really go, I don't do the art class, I don't do yoga, I don't do other, I tried Tai Chi when I first got here to Laredo, and I thought, you know, for balance, that kind of thing, it worked okay, but there are guys there who are maybe a couple of years younger than me who look 10, 15 years older than I do, and they've been dealing with stroke for that many years, they have, now, that's part of it. But I also think that, I mean, your genes have a lot to do with that. Your eating right has a lot to do with that. So I appreciate you being here with us. I know that we're going to have you back because we want to know what's going on with your group, with your business. I hope everyone who listens to this really enjoys it because I had a lot of fun with Dan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand Show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. The website address is https colon 
backslash backslash www.strokefocus.net. Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.